You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Denver? Chris Lopez here with episode two in our three-part series on your legal tax estate and insurance fundamental podcast. So in the previous episode, we went through an avatar of like a beginner investor or a young Chris. I definitely recommend you listen to these in order because some of the concepts build on top of each other. This podcast will be more of an intermediate Chris. So that avatar is, you know, someone in their 30s to 50s, uh, a wife, kids, dependents, higher net worth, multiple properties, higher income, and so we're going to go through what that person needs to do to protect themselves in liability and also maximize uh, you know, tax benefits and just talk about the good structure of all the stuff. And there's often like that right balance. There's pros and cons to everything. So I got my expert panel here to go through. And remember, stuff we do on here is general education. Always talk to one of the people on your team to get the specific advice for what we're uh, talking about here. So... Going to the round table is Pam Moss with Law Mother with Estate Planning. Good afternoon, Pam. Thanks for having me, Chris. And then we got Bill McIntosh here to bring in all the insurance knowledge. Bill, how are you? Good. Thank you for having me again. And then Byron Elliott with Three Pillars Law to talk about some legal stuff and give some high-level tax stuff as well. Glad to have you back, Bill. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Bill. Appreciate it. I'm sorry. Byron, as I was going to have Bill on there. Uh, too many bees on here. All right. So going back with that recap here, you know, we're in the second phase here, more mature, higher net worth, Chris Lopez on the avatar here. You know, I am now married. I have two little kids. I have, you know, four or five rental properties. I have not decided to pursue my flipping business. I did one flip. It wasn't for me. I still want to talk about structure on there because a lot of people that do flipping, uh, but I've also grown my business as a, a real estate agent where I need to talk about the best way to put that into an entity and structure it. So uh, dependents, higher net worth, higher income, multiple rentals, and now a business that's profitable. Um, so lots of options on here, but also more moving parts. Where do I start on that, Byron? Yeah, so if you recall, you know, the last episode we did, there was a question on asset protection. And maybe young Chris with one or two properties, maybe it made sense for him to to look at asset protection, but certainly middle-aged uh, investor Chris has enough holdings now that he certainly needs to figure out how he's going to structure from an asset protection and really from a tax standpoint. And so here, you know, it's very common for us to set up, and I do this for my own personal investments. We have a holding company, a family holding company called Castle Holding. And Castle Holding owns the ownership interest in each LLC that owns an individual property. It owns the ownership interest in any joint venture that we've done where we have multiple members in an LLC. Castle Holding would, would own that interest as well. And then even a syndicated deal. So whether we're an active sponsor of a deal and we have a general partnership interest or for participating as a passive investor, otherwise known as a limited partner, we'll take title to all of those ownership interests in our holding company. Middle-aged investor Chris is starting to get into some uh, serious tax considerations here. So I'm just going to talk kind of high level. Uh, I'm not a tax professional, but I love real estate tax discussions. I kind of nerd out on it. And I see some real opportunity here for Chris. 
Oh, good. Tell me. Yep. So one of the questions that usually comes up here is how can I, how can I capitalize my real estate investments? Like how do I find cash to capitalize a deal if I don't have a huge W-2 paying job or a trust fund of some sort or some sort of inheritance? How do I do that? And so it's kind of a natural progression as you get a little bit older, you move from living in an apartment to maybe your first starter home. Um, especially here in Colorado, that's going to build up equity, right? Mm -hmm. And as your family grows, you're going to make, you know, make decisions on where you want to move and when the most house you can get, you got kids, you need a room for each, those kind of decisions come into play. And so one of the really, really advantageous ways to capitalize investing in real estate is to take advantage of what's called the personal residence exemption. And so the personal residence exemption is fairly straightforward. If you live in your personal residence two of the last five years and you sell that property, there is no taxable event. So as a matter of public policy, you know, the government wants people to be encouraged to buy homes. They don't want to punish them for selling homes and making, making a capital gains. But imagine a scenario where you live in a house for two years, it builds up equity, you move a mile down the road. You purchase another house and you live there for two years. And at the, you know, before between that year four and five period, you sell both properties conceivably because you've lived in both two of the last five years. You can take that equity or what would be a capital gain otherwise and use that to basically kickstart uh, your real estate investments. That's a really popular method. And it's what up to. $250,000 exclusion if you're single, 500K if you're married. That's correct. Okay, so yeah, we're talking, I mean, a huge, huge, huge gift from Uncle Sam here where I can get a lot of money, uh, you know, tax-free with no 1031 considerations either. Um, but Pam, I got a couple of questions here going from the structure here. So I got two for you. The first one is, I sell my property to take advantage of that, you know, exclusion and, and the Colorado appreciation, but it's in my living trust. Do I need to transfer my living trust before I sell, or is that impacting those tax advantages that Byron just shared with us? Yeah, you can sell it from your living trust. It's not going to affect the tax benefit in that case. And I'll still get the check at closing and be able to just deposit yep. into mm -hmm. Chris and Amber's account and go go on a spending spree or be wise and invest it? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Now, going back to the structure here, so I've got you know the master LLC, um, which is you know my uh, me and my wife, we own it jointly. And then my master LLC, and this is all just for my rental properties and rental investments, you know, you know, owns rental one LLC, rental two LLC, rental three LLC on that. What do I need to keep in mind when it comes to estate planning since I have this structure now? Like, what do I need to do with these, all these LLCs? Yeah, so there's kind of two questions, right? The first is protecting your spouse, and the second is protecting your minor kids. And kind of the answer is the same for both, but it's a little, we're coming at it a different way. Okay. And so right now you, how you're describing it, you own these all in your individual names. And so if something were to happen to both of you, your kids are under the age of 18, it's all going to go through probate. These houses aren't going to be able to be sold right away. It's going to be a public process. So the public will know when your kids are going to inherit what it's going to be at 18 outright. It's just going to be a very costly time consuming mess. So we want to set up a living trust for you in the background. And make sure you own those interests in the name of your trust. And that really is going to keep it from being a mess for each other when something were to happen. If one of you were to become incapacitated, you or your spouse, we want to make sure you're fully protected. And then it's going to really set up your kids for success so that they're not... Eventually, you're going to live a long, healthy life. And we're going to want to make sure it's protected from them that they're not going to have to go through a big, messy probate process when you pass away. 
All right. And so with this, I, if I actually recall when we did my estate plan last year, I have my master LLC. That's the one where I assign the entrance to my trust. But since that owns all the other LLCs, they kind of just go with what the master holding LLC does, right? Yeah. And we just want to make sure the operating agreements are all set up correctly. And so I usually work with someone like Byron. If you're working with, I work with your business lawyer and we make sure that your operating agreement has all the correct language. So you really want to make sure it has death and disability language. And Byron's very savvy about the estate planning side and him and I have worked together. So um, he knows to look for that. But I know a lot of business attorneys that don't have that experience, they kind of leave that out. So you really want to make sure that you have the death and disability question taken care of. Okay. Now I'm going to turn to you, Bill. I got some insurance questions as we're talking this, you know, this, this rental protection, asset protection. This is just, you know, for the, for the rental properties right now. Um, you know, I've got this master holding LLC with multiple properties bloat. Everything's, you know, uh, titles transferred over. Each property has their individual insurance. And I've had my LLC added on there. Now, insurance is in my name and my wife's name. And then we add the property manager, add the LLC into what additionally insured. Yes. So I, I make sure they're on there. Now I've got this master holding LLC that owns no real estate. The only asset is in there is, you know, a checking account with, you know, $15,000 in there. And now it owns, you know, five other LLCs. What type of insurance do I need for that? And just general insurance for, for this. Do I need business liability? Do I need a separate umbrella? What, what, what do I need here, man? So um, I work with the personal insurance mostly. So uh, to give you a, a, a the most honest answer I can give you, I would talk to a commercial insurance agent uh, on that uh, LLC. Uh, but yes, I would definitely have general liability um, on that holding company with a commercial agent um, on there. So I'm sorry, I can't give you more information about that. But No, that's fine. And that's one of the things that like, as everyone gets, you know, builds their team out, it's like, we're, we're all specialists. And as you get more into every category, there's specialists within the category. Yes. And I always appreciate people say, hey, that's not my lane. I do this talk, but here, talk to this person. She's great as well. Um, okay, so from a high level, I should talk to a, a business or a, a commercial, commercial, commercial insurance, insurance agent. agent. Yes. And most likely talk to them, hey, do I need general liability? What type of policy do I need on this structure here? And I would actually talk to a, a, an agent that's commercial only because um, they really pay attention to the the commercial liability uh, aspect of, of any business. And so where somebody like, because in, in our industry, uh, a lot of times we'll get busy and we'll like, oh, I can do that insurance and I can do this insurance, but I'm, I'm, a I, I do not, um, I'm not good at commercial insurance. So a few years ago, I decided I'm going to be good at this yep. personal insurance and that's all I'm going to do. And then I'm going to have some amazing commercial agents that I can pass that off to. And, uh, so I know when you start to add so many different insurances to your, your repertoire, your, uh, to who you are, um, then you're not paying attention really uh, to each one of those coverages or those different um, lines of insurance. And so just go to a commercial insurance where that's all they do is commercial. Okay, great. I will definitely put that on my to-do list. Um, all right, so I got another kind of just general strategy tax question on here because you know we mentioned it with selling the primary residence. We have appreciation here in Colorado. And while we have that on the primary residence, it's also happening on my rental properties and other landlord rental property as well, which creates a lot of reasons to you know execute a 1031 exchange. 
So Byron, you kind of tell us what a 1031 is. And since I have this structure in LLCs, does that impact anything I need to know about doing 1031s? Great. So yeah, 1031, it's actually got a pretty funny story. The law was enacted around the time people were horse trading. So it's not, not just in the context of real estate, but in the context of real estate, what you're looking at is uh, for an investment property, uh, and let's just use, let's use a quadplex. You've got a quadplex here, a fourplex. You purchased this quadplex, you know, three years ago in Denver. And Denver's appreciating real estate, you know, between 10 and 17% a year. I mean, I purchased rate 50. It's probably worth 1.1 now. Okay, great. And so, so I got 550 in equity in there. Perfect. And so what, what the IRS is going to take a look at when you sell this property is, is what's called the basis. And so your purchase price was... 850. 850. Uh, two, three years ago, you've depreciated it over the last three years, whether you just did a straight line depreciation or whether you did a bonus depreciation. But at the end of the day, your basis is going to be reduced from that 850 down to you'll subtract whatever depreciation. And now you've got a new basis. So that's an important jump off point is what is the basis in the property that you have? And then when you sell it at fair market value, the difference between the two is what would, what would be considered taxable, right, for capital gain. And so at 1031, it's not something that eliminates taxes altogether until you get into the advanced estate planning stuff Pam's going to talk about, but it's a deferral. So you're basically kicking that taxable bill down the road. So <clears throat> what you would do is you work with a qualified intermediary. Um, that's just a third party who acts kind of like a an escrow agent on steroids, make sure that you enact the transaction the proper way to meet with the 1031 requirements and you find a replacement property or multiple replacement properties. So if you're selling real estate, you're, you're buying real estate on the far side. And if you do that the right way within the right time frame, it's a tax deferral you're not going to pay in that given tax year. And yep. so it's one of the tools used by you know very wealthy people to continue to defer paying capital gains time and time again. One quick thing, and when we get into, uh, again, whether you're taking title to you know to the property with an LLC or as an individual, that 1031 tracks based on a tax ID number. So if you take title as an individual, it's your social. If it's an LLC, you get an EIN for your LLC, and that is the entity that can affect that exchange. Mm. So let's, uh, you know, so this is, uh, I bought this property, let's say, years ago in my personal name with a 30-year mortgage, transfer title to the LLC um, and all that. So, you know, that was two years ago, I transferred an LLC. Let's say I want to turn around tomorrow and, and do a 1031. It started out my personal name. It's been two years in the LLC. Does that make an impact or I guess I keep an LLC? Yeah. So I think on the exchange side of the house, that would take place with the LLC tax ID. But if you back up to where you transfer that title, there may be some sort of tax liability associated with that. So when you change the controlling interest of who owns the property, you're transferring a property interest, there may be a taxable event associated with that. So we'd have to probably talk to CPA and figure out what your actual basis is at the LLC tax ID level as you as you jump into the replacement property. And but from overall, it shouldn't have a major issue, or like is it gonna change the basis? And I'm not, you know taking exact advice on here, but if sure. I had one scenario I transferred the property in and one scenario I didn't transfer, is the basis going to be that dramatically different? I, I don't think it would be. I think uh, the basis wouldn't be that dramatically different, but there would be some sort of tax liability, I think, that you'd have to address from that previous transfer if you don't, if you didn't do it at the time of the transfer. Yeah, because I, I talked to my CB about this. He's like, yeah, don't. There's some details, but he said, don't, 
Don't lose two bout and don't worry about it. Yeah, I that was say, his general. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a deal breaker. Okay. Um, now moving away from the rental LLC, I want to talk about running some businesses as you know an agent and a flipper. Before I do any final comments on taxes, legal insurance, on the whole like that rental setup right there. That we want to close out. Do you want to talk real estate professional? Because uh, that's, like the, that's the granddaddy in my mind. Let's talk about that in the third episode, the okay. advance. I, yes, I want to talk about that. Okay. Uh, but that's the, that's a meaty topic for sure. Um, so moving to this kind of the, the other part here I want to talk about is I always view, hey, there's real estate investing. That's, you know, owning rental properties, investing in deals. That's, you know, really investing. And then there's real estate businesses, the flipping, being an agent. I consider those business because I am actively working. And if I'm not out there working, you know, I'm not making money in those businesses. So I am not doing flipping anymore, but I've built out my agent business. Um, But kind of talking about both of those, because we have a lot of listeners where they're agents and they're flippers. And as they start going from like one or two deals, whether, you know, commission checks as agents or flips, um, what does that real estate business owner need to keep in mind when it comes down to taxes, insurance, legal, all that stuff? And Byron, I'm, I'm going to start with you again on that. Yeah. So, you know, one thing to take a look at on these operating businesses, whether you're a 1099 or whatever it may be, is that most of that activity is considered active income. And so one mechanism that people like to to use to eliminate at least partially what we call a payroll taxes, they'll make an election to be taxed as an S-corp. And so a typical structure is um, if you're an agent, you're going to set up a little LLC. Um, for tax purposes, the IRS doesn't have an LLC classific- classification. So you're either by default a disregarded entity, or if you have two people or more, you're a partnership for tax purposes, right? Um, but you can make what's called a check the box election if you want to elect out of that default treatment. And what a lot of people will do is they'll elect to be taxed as an S corp. And so there are certain limitations with an S corp of you know who can and can't have an ownership interest in that in that entity. But effectively, at the end of the day, what it does for an agent who is uh, who has a business is you have an obligation to pay yourself a reasonable salary. So what does that look like? It just depends on what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, how actively you're participating. But let's say general rule of thumb is out of all the monies that are coming in, you take 50% of all those monies coming in, you know, your net profit after paying employees and every other expense and what you can take as the actual owner of the business, you take a reasonable salary. And then the remainder, your distributions at the end of the year or whenever you take them over time, you can... uh, alleviate the the payroll tax. So it's like 3.5, 3.8%, whatever it is, up to a certain dollar amount. And so there's a way that, yep. you know, on a business by business basis, and in this case, for you, if you have multiple operating businesses, you could effectively elect S corp taxation on all of them and save that payroll tax for you, Chris, on at least the distributions that you're taking on a routine basis. That's very common. Yeah. And I think from a, a high level, what I, you know, as over the years I've started businesses and talked to, you know, all sorts of experts is, you know, for rental properties, usually just LLCs for these businesses or operating real estate businesses, you know, the advice is often an LLC taxes an S corp um, to take advantage of the way salaries, because on the rental properties, you're not paying yourself a salary. Correct. Just to have the way income is treated. That's kind of like a standard advice I've gotten and general good rule of thumb, you'd say. Yep. So, yep, just deal with the whatever the default taxation is. It's okay. just you. It's just to flow through. If you have partners, 
as a partnership. And that's almost 100% of the time uh, when you're holding title to a rental property. Is there any big difference, you know, for my operating active business, if I'm like LLC S corp, if it's because I'm an agent or because I end up going the flipping route, or is that from a tax person reason generally the same? I would tell you um, the flipping is, is treated a lot like an operating business as well, especially depending on how long you hold the property. And so the IRS will look at flipping. If you flip a property and you sell it uh, before that one year hold period, sometimes they'll take a look at that as inventory, especially if you're doing that on a routine basis. Yep. And so that would be considered ordinary income, right? So that may be an example where you would want to make an S corp election there because you can save a little bit of that payroll tax. Yeah. Okay. And we were talking about this before. So if I'm doing multiple flips in that business, do we do one LLC per flip or do you have like one LLC and you rotate the, the properties through there? Yeah. So I would take just a hard look at, and this is really a planning consideration, is take a hard look at who you're doing business with. So if it's just you or like just you and your wife, yeah, one company and you just rotate those properties in and out and that's perfectly fine. You take title, you sell from, from the entity, no problem. If you're looking to do some for some form of joint venture agreement, like you want to flip, you and Pam want to flip, and then you and I want to flip, you wouldn't have, want the same company, the same operating agreement. So it's a, a Chris Byron LLC, a Chris Pam LLC, yep. right? Yep. And if we're going to continue to do business together, then yeah, it's absolutely worth it setting up the entity, taking the time to work through the op agreement, making sure that you have a meeting of the minds between the parties involved, right? That's very important. Uh, you know, Pam had spoke earlier about uh, corporate formalities and and whatnot. And that's a big thing I think you would take a look at is if you say that you have a limited liability entity and you're going through the, you know, the pain of putting together an op agreement, are you operating according to the terms of that agreement? That's something that she as a litigator will probably take a look at is, is make sure that whatever you put on paper and sign is basically a contract and that's how you're functioning as a business. All right. All right. So Pam, going back to you for estate planning, you know, we're, I'm in my active business, you know, in reality, I'm an agent, but for agent and flipping scenarios, I'm doing an LLC, uh, S corp election to maximize, uh, you know, compensating myself and maximizing taxes. What do I need to think about from like the estate planning side and general, just general protection for me and my family? Yeah. It's just the succession component. Do you have a succession plan in place? And what would happen to that business if you died or became incapacitated? Like how the business would run? Yep. And who would get access to it? So if you don't have a plan in place, it it needs to be part of your operating agreement. And then that needs to be mirrored on your estate planning side so that if something were to happen to you, your family isn't in a situation where they're going through a long court process and they're not getting access to the assets right away. So let's talk about this for a minute because I mean, this is, you know, I, I'm a small business. Um, you know, it's still, I'm very much key to operating it. Um, if I walk away, there's problems for the business or problems for my family on there. What are some just typical succession plans and structuring that you see? Yeah. So I or mean, I even start to learn about this. Yeah. So it's, it's usually that conversation I'm having one-on-one, you know, if something were to happen to you, who do you want to run your business? Who do you want to have access? And a lot of my clients, they're in this business with their spouse. And so they want to make it just as smooth and easy. And they just assume because they're married that their spouse would automatically be able to jump in. And that's not the case. Banks aren't going to take your marriage license to get access to your bank account. They're going to want to see those power of attorney. They're going to want to see that you are on the operating agreement. They're going to want to see that. So that's kind of the number one mistake I see. And then, so is there someone in your life who can kind of transition and step in? 
Um, And is that your spouse? Is that a trusted resource? How do we want to set it up if something were to happen? And who do we want to make that decision? And if we don't know, like say say your wife isn't really savvy at real estate. Yeah, she's not involved in in my agent business. Yep. So, you know, do we want her? So in my business as an attorney, my husband's not an attorney. He can't legally take over my legal business. For a lot of real estate professionals, it's the same way. Their spouse isn't a real estate professional. They can't take over. And so who are those trusted people you'd want in that situation to wind down? And how do you want it to flow so that your kids and your wife or your spouse still gets the the money from that? Okay. Insurance bill on this. Going to... I, I got my real estate agent business and also the fictitious flipping business. Um what do I need to know from an insurance standpoint for that? And just kind of like anything global as I'm coming to you with, with all this to my for my annual insurance review. So as a real estate agent, you need to have errors and omissions insurance. And I don't think you could be with any brokerage and they not require that. But the more the more business that you do, the higher your errors and omissions want to uh, you want to increase that on a yearly basis, probably. Um, as for your flipping business, uh, I believe that just depending on what you are doing with that flipping business, uh, are you are you adding square footage to the house? You want to get the proper insurance and not just get landlord insurance uh, while you own that. You want to make sure uh, if you're flipping it that there's nobody living there. You need to ha- make sure your insurance is going to cover that Um uh, if there's nobody living there, um, a vacancy insurance or or uh, builder's risk insurance on there. So just depending on what you do, you need to have different policies uh, for that. If you're um, if you're not going to hold on to that property uh, and just flip it, you need to make sure your insurance person knows that. Okay. So. And now me as an agent, um, you know, I, I've put my agent business into an LLC S corp. You know, once my income got a, you know, got to a certain certain threshold where it makes sense to take advantage of those self-employment uh, write-offs, I transfer it to an LLC elected S Corp. It sounds like based early, I should probably talk to a commercial insurance agent to see if or what type of coverage I may need in that entity. Yeah. So the entity, you still as a personal real estate agent uh, have uh, again. You got some skin in the game, mm, right. um, and so that's where the errors and omission now uh, probably liability uh, again on your dis- different F's corps and stuff like that uh, is what you need to. But definitely talk to a commercial agent um, and and look at that. All right, great. Well, I think we hit all the high points on here. Get on my notes because there's definitely some more talking points and advanced strategies I want to cover with the panel here. But we'll save that for the third episode. Um, I know Advanced Chris sounds better than Old Chris, so we'll call Avatar 3 Advanced Chris. I didn't <laughs> like the middle age uh, <laughs> connotation earlier, Byron, so we're going to go with, with Advanced or Mature Chris or next one. Um, but obviously, as we're going through this, everyone, everyone's contact details on this panel, their contact details are in the show notes. Pam for state planning, Bill for insurance, Bill for uh, uh, Byron for uh, entity planning. Uh, he does not do taxes, so don't reach out with him for like filing your taxes just for clarity. Uh, a lot of our tax professionals are busy right now doing taxes, um, but everyone's contact details are in there. And let us know what questions you have, uh, comments you have, because we'll make this an ongoing series as we get through this first three avatars. So everyone, thank you so much. We'll see you next episode. 